The high priest said to the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. The secretary then read it aloud to the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded the priest, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Because our ancestors did not obey the word of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So the priest went to the prophetess, Holda. She, er, she declared to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, I will indeed bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. They took the message back to the king. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I can remember very vividly the first time in my life when I met an, an actual famous and important person. I grew up in the Upper Peninsula. We didn't see a lot of celebrities up in the UP. I, I didn't actually meet a famous person until I, I came downstate to go to school. It was my, my freshman year at Albion College. I, I heard through the grapevine that a professional football player was coming to visit our campus, a Detroit Lions football player, but still that counts. I learned... I learned that a man named Pete Metzelars was coming to visit the campus. Now, you may not remember Pete Metzelars. Back in, the, back in the 90s, he played tight end for the Detroit Lions, a great big red-headed guy. And, and Pete Metzelars was also a person of faith. And so he was going to come to our campus, and he was going to talk to some of the religious groups on campus. And then after he spoke, there was going to be an event where people could actually meet Pete Metzelars. And as a lifelong Detroit Lions fan, I got pretty excited about that. I, I served circled the date on my calendar. I started counting the days until Pete Metzelars of the Detroit Lions was going to come and, and visit our campus. And, and as it got closer to the day of Pete Metzelars of the Detroit Lions visiting Albion College's campus, I started thinking about what I wanted to say when I got to meet Pete Metzelars of the Detroit Lions. I, I, I worked out a, a bit of a speech. You know, the, the Sunday before his visit, he had made this, this spectacular catch. It was the, the fourth quarter and the Lions were behind because of course the Lions were behind, but they were, they were driving down the field and there was this crucial third play where he, he made this diving one-handed catch and then he rolled out of bounds to, to stop the clock and to keep the, the, the drive going. Of course the Lions ended up losing, but that's not, that's not the point. It was, it was a great catch. It was probably the highlight of his entire career. And, and I figured when I met Pete Metzelars of the Detroit Lions, I would lead with that. I would, I would shake his hand and I would look him in the eye and I would say, hey man, 
man. That was a great catch in the fourth quarter. And I figured Pete Metzlars, he would, he would look at me and he would see that I was a real Detroit Lions fan. And, and he would be impressed at my knowledge of his career highlights. And, and we'd probably get to talking and we maybe would bond a little bit and laugh about how I grew up and suffered as a Detroit Lions fan up in the UP, up in, up in Packer country. I figured we'd probably hit it off so well that he would end up inviting me to come and watch a game. He'd probably give me some tickets and, and I would go to a Lions game. And then after the game, we'd probably hang out a little bit and we'd end up becoming best friends. That's how I saw this going. I figured, I figured for sure Pete Metzelars and I, we were going to end up being best friends. Well, finally, the day of his visit arrived, and I went and I listened to, to Pete Metzelars, and he turned out to be a great speaker, very engaging, very inspiring. Then after he was finished speaking, people, people got in line to shake his hand and to meet Pete Metzelars of the Detroit Lions. So I got, I got in line, and as I was moving towards the front of the line, I started practicing in, in my head the thing that I wanted to say to Pete Metzelars of the, of the Detroit Lions. Hey, man, that was a great catch in the fourth quarter. Hey, man, that was, that was a great catch you made in the fourth quarter. Hey man, that was a great catch in the fourth quarter. As I was moving towards the front of the line though, this, this thing started happening. I felt these, these butterflies in my stomach. I started getting more and more nervous and then all of a sudden I was at the front of the line. There I was. I was standing toe-to-toe with, with Pete Metzelars of the Detroit Lions and, and I tried to look him in the eye but I suddenly discovered it was not easy to look him in the eye because his eyes were way up here. He didn't look that big on TV, but he was a giant mountain of a man. And so I looked way up at Pete Metzelar's face and then he reached out and he, he shook my hand and my hand just sort of disappeared into his hand. I have big hands. I've been able to palm a basketball since I was in the fifth grade, but, but my hand just got swallowed up by Pete Metzelar's enormous giant hands. I felt like a child shaking the hands of a, full, a fully grown man. I felt small. I'm not used to feeling small, but standing there in front of Pete Metzelars, all of a sudden I felt very small. And then Pete Metzelars, he, he said to me, hey, how are you doing? It's nice to meet you. And, and I suddenly realized that I couldn't remember what I wanted to say to Pete Metzelars. It, it completely flew out of my head. I knew there was something I wanted to say to him, but I couldn't think of, of what it was. And then I realized I was standing there holding his hand, not saying anything, looking like a fool. And so I said, come on, just say something. Don't, don't stand here not saying anything. And so I grabbed his hand and I looked him in the eye and I said, football. (laughs) I said, football catch, football game. Hey man, nice football. (laughs) And Pete Metzelars, he got a funny look on his face. He let go of my hand and he sort of took a step back. And he said, it's nice to meet you too. And then all of a sudden he was shaking hands and talking to the next person in line. And I was standing there all by myself. And as I was standing there all by myself, I realized that I had blown it. I realized that I was not going to become best friends with Pete Metzelars. And, and in that moment, I realized something else about myself, something I never knew up until that moment. I realized that I am absolutely hopeless around famous and important people. I, I realized that when I get around famous and important people, 
my brain short circuits and I turn all awkward and tongue-tied. I turn into this sort of quivering mass of incoherent syllables and I can't string words together. That was the first time I ever had that experience, but it wouldn't be the last time. All, all through my life, every time I meet a famous and important person, I suddenly lose the ability to speak coherent sentences. And, and so maybe that's why I love this morning's scripture reading so much. I love the story in today's scripture reading. I've learned that I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless around famous and important people. But today we're going to meet somebody who, who handled that situation much better than I did. So in today's scripture reading, we have a story of, of a prophet and a king. This story comes from a, a dark moment in the history of God's people, the Israelites. And the story comes from a moment when, when the Israelites had lost their way. They forgot about God. They turned away from the God who loved them. They turned away from the God who set them free from slavery in the land of Egypt. They started worshiping other gods, and they forgot the ways of God. They started neglecting the the poor among them. They stopped caring for widows and orphans. They started persecuting immigrants and foreigners. Their society started to fall apart at the seams. Even the kings of Israel turned away from God. Even the kings became wicked and and corrupt, and they forgot the worship of God. The the temple, God's house, God's place of worship turned into a, a sort of a glorified storage shed where where the kings of Israel would throw all of the junk that they didn't know what to do with. And so the rooms of the temple filled up with all of this rubbish, all of this stuff. And then as the story begins today, there's this moment when the king of Israel says to his chief advisors, he says, you know what, maybe we ought to have a good spring clean. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over to the temple, and I want you to start going through all of that junk that's accumulated, and I want you to look through all the storerooms and all the closets and see if there are any treasures that we missed. See if there's anything worth saving in all of that junk that we've been throwing in the temple for years and years. And so the king's chief advisors, they went over to the temple and started sorting through all of the rubbish, all of the stuff that was there in the temple. And as they were going through one of the storerooms, they made, they made an amazing discovery at the At the bottom of a box that was filled with old board games and jigsaw puzzles that were were missing pieces, they discovered this this scroll, this ancient and important-looking scroll. And they took it out of the box, and they they unrolled it, and they started to read the scroll. And they discovered that it was one of the ancient scrolls of Moses. It was a, a scroll, a book that told the story of how God saved God's people from slavery in the land of Egypt. And it, it contained the words that God spoke to Moses when Moses went up the mountain to to speak to God. It contained the laws that that God had given the people, the ways in which they were to live. And and when they unrolled the scroll, they discovered that it was open, just happened to open, right to a place where God was giving the people a warning. They opened the scroll right to a place where God said, here's what will happen if you ever turn away from me. Here's what will happen if you forget about me, if you worship other gods, if you neglect the poor, if you persecute immigrants and foreigners. God said, if you do these things, I will allow disaster to come upon you. I will allow your enemies to rise up against you and overcome you. And in that day, it won't matter one bit that you are my special and beloved people. It will not save you, this relationship that we have. I will, I will allow you to suffer the consequences of your own actions. Well, the king's advisors, they were nervous and afraid when they read these words. They said, we need to take this to the king. The king needs to know about this. And so they brought the scroll to the king, and they said, king, take a look at this. And he read the words of the scroll, and he also became nervous and afraid. But here's the thing. The king had never seen a scroll like this. He'd never heard the words of God before. He didn't know what to make of it. And so the king, he said, we need to take this to an expert. 
We need to take this to, to somebody who knows about God's things. And, and we need to run this by somebody who knows what to do with this. And we need to find a prophet, the king said. It just so happens that at that moment in the city of Jerusalem, one of the most famous and important prophets who ever lived was, was doing ministry and preaching to the people. The prophet Jeremiah was active in the city of Jerusalem at that time. Now, now Jeremiah is, is one of the rock stars of the Bible. Jeremiah was famous for his deep connection to God. People followed Jeremiah around and they wrote down every word he ever spoke about God. So the book of the sayings of the prophet Jeremiah is one of the longest books in all of the Bible. Jeremiah was in the city of Jerusalem at that time, and so you would think that the king would say, take this scroll and bring it to the prophet Jeremiah and see what he has to say. But the king, he didn't do that. And the reason he didn't do that is that Jeremiah had this other reputation. He wasn't just famous for having a deep connection with God. Jeremiah was also famous for telling people things they didn't want to hear. For years now, Jeremiah had been shouting in the streets of Jerusalem that God was going to allow a great disaster to come upon the people of Jerusalem if they didn't shape up, if they didn't start worshiping God and caring for the poor and caring for immigrants and strangers and and foreigners among them. Jeremiah had been shouting these things in the streets. And for years, the the king and his advisors had been trying to get Jeremiah to change his message, lighten up a little bit, at least keep it down. They they threw him in prison. They, They beat him within an inch of his life. But no matter what they did to Jeremiah, his message never changed. He kept on telling people things they didn't want to hear. And so in that moment, as the king was looking at that scroll, he realized he didn't want to take it to Jeremiah. He didn't want to hear what Jeremiah was going to say. He was pretty sure he already knew what Jeremiah was going to say. And so the king rolled up the scroll. He handed it to his advisors and he said, don't take it to Jeremiah. He said, take it to the prophet Huldah. Now, Huldah was the other prophet who was living in the city of Jerusalem at that time. She was Jeremiah's cousin. They were related. And and Huldah was also famous for her connection, her deep and powerful connection to God. But Huldah had a much quieter sort of ministry than Jeremiah did. She didn't go shouting around in the streets. Huldah had started, instead, she started a, a school for the women of Jerusalem. Every day she would go to the school for women and she would teach the women of the city the words of God and the ways of God. And the king, he hands that scroll to his, his advisors and he says, take it, take it to the prophet Huldah because he is figuring that as a woman, she will be soft and pliable where Jeremiah is harsh and unbending. He figures that, that as a woman who spends every day surrounded by women, she will be intimidated when all of these famous and powerful and important people show up on her doorstep. He's hoping that when they bring that scroll to Huldah, she will turn into a quivering mass of incoherent syllables and just stammer out exactly what the king wants to hear. This is no big deal. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you've been doing. God would never allow anything bad to happen to us. Take, take it to the prophet Huldah, he says. And so all of the king's advisors, the the chief priests and the prime ministers and the secretaries of state, they put on their their blackest and most intimidating robes. And then they they take that scroll and they go to the house of the prophet Huldah. And they knock on the door. And Huldah opens the door. She looks out and she sees all of these powerful and famous and important men standing out in front of her house. And one of them hands the scroll to her and says, We found this in the temple and the king wants to know what it is and what it means. And so Huldah, she unrolls the scroll and she starts reading. And she reads 
And she reads and she reads and then she rolls it up again. She hands it back to them. She looks them in the eye and then she begins to speak. And as soon as Huldah begins to speak, they realize that they have made a terrible mistake and Huldah is not at all who they thought she was. The very first thing that Huldah says is, tell the man who sent you to me. Not tell the king, not tell his majesty, not tell his royal highness. Tell the man who sent you to me that this scroll contains the word and the voice of God. Tell the man who sent you to me that everything that is written in this scroll will come to pass. Tell the man who sent you to me that when God's people neglect to care for the poor, when they forget about widows and orphans, when they persecute immigrants and foreigners, that God will indeed allow disaster and calamity to come upon them. Tell all of that to the man who sent you to me, she says. And then she closes the door in their face. I've been wondering, I've always wondered, where does Huldah find the courage to speak to those men in that way? As somebody who is completely hopeless every time I get around famous and important people, as somebody who melts into a puddle of incoherent words every time I'm around famous, important people, I have always been so impressed with her courage and her composure. And I've always wondered, how does Huldah find it within herself to talk that way to the king and to the representatives of the king. I've been pondering that this week, and I, I have a theory. I want to run it by you. We'll see if you, if you agree with me. Here's, here's where I think Hulda's courage came from. I believe that Hulda's courage comes from the fact that she spends every day, all day long, surrounded by the women of the city. One of the things that we know is true in every culture, in every city, all throughout human history, one of the things we know that is true is that when people are suffering, when a city begins to fall to pieces, when a society starts to fall apart and people slip through the cracks, the first people to know about it are the women of the city. The women are the ones who step forward and catch the people who are falling through the cracks. The women are the ones who care for the widows and orphans when the government becomes corrupt. The women are the ones who have their finger not just on the pulse, but on the pain of the city. And I believe that all day long, Hulda would go to that school and she would hear from the women of the city the stories of how people were hurting because they were living in a city that had lost its way. And I believe that when Hulda looked at all of those famous and important people, she thought about those women. She realized that they were counting on her to speak the truth to power and that is where her courage came from. I believe, I believe her courage came from her connection to the women of the city. I don't know that for sure. I don't know exactly what was going on in Hulda's mind in that moment, but what we do know is what happened next. So the king's advisors went back to the king and they brought with them Hulda's message and they, they spoke Hulda's words to the king and when he heard her message, when he heard her prophecy, the king fell to his knees and cried out to God. The king in that moment repented of his corruption and his wickedness. He turned away from the ways that he had been living in. He turned back to the ways of God. The king cleaned out the temple and restored the worship of God and when the people of Jerusalem saw the king turning to God, they also turned to God. God, and they started walking again in the ways of God. They started caring for, for widows and orphans. They started having compassion for the foreigners and immigrants who were, who were living among them. Because this one woman, whose name is only mentioned twice in all of the pages of the Bible, had the courage to hold it together and speak truth to powerful people. An entire city was turned around. An entire generation came to walk in the ways of God. There is a message in this story. There is a message from the prophet 
hold of for us, God's people, the church today. The message is very simply this. Our power, our power to change the world, our power to transform the world that you and I live in comes directly from our connection to the hurting and vulnerable people of this world. This is why when our Muslim neighbors are are grieving, we gather with them and try to comfort them. This is why we we gather with our Jewish neighbors when they're living in fear. This is why we reach out to our LGBT neighbors when they're feeling excluded. This is why we stock shelves across the street at Crossover at the the food pantry. This is why we welcome temporarily homeless families into into the walls and into the rooms of this church over and over and over again because we believe and we understand that when the church is connected to the pain of our neighbors, when we have our finger on the pulse and the pain of our city, that's when the church finds its voice. That's when entire cities turn around. That's when whole generations begin to walk, begin to walk in the ways of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would help us find our way. Help us find our way out the doors of this place and into the homes of our neighbors. God, help us to discover the pain that exists all around us in this community. God, we pray that you would never allow us to become a people cut off, cut off from the city. That we would never become ignorant of the hurting and the brokenness of this world. God, we pray that you would send us the spirit of Huldah. That we would speak the truth to powerful people. That this world might be redeemed. In Jesus we pray. Amen.